but not broken. With host Patrick Scroggins. As a U.S. Army attack helicopter pilot deployed in Iraq, Patrick faced a devastating crash, which resulted in him dying, losing a leg, and a slew of broken bones. Patrick's story of rehabilitation has helped others to overcome their own obstacles. Each week, Patrick recounts stories of inspiration and interviews guests who have overcome remarkable obstacles. This is Wounded But Not Broken with your host, Patrick Scroggins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wounded But Not Broken yet on another Monday night here on everybody's favorite night of the week. Uh, we're here, uh, you know, with this podcast, I like to cover a variety of uh, stories with a variety of experiences. And uh, tonight, we have a, a very, very experienced, distinguished uh, military member on. And I'd like to introduce uh, Command Sergeant Major of the Army, Tilly. Uh, he was the Command Sergeant Major of the Army when I joined the military. And I believe he retired in 2004 after 36 years of serving this country. Uh, Command Sergeant Major Tilly. Hey, well, you got to say Sergeant Major of the Army. That's that's how they get it. That that's uh, that's the right way to get it. But uh, yeah, hey, glad to be on your show, and I'm motivated all the way through. Thank you so much, and thank you for your service. Oh man, you're welcome. And uh, you know, I don't think anybody can thank you enough for yours. I mean, you spent a long time in the military. And uh, with that being said, you know, with having such a distinguished career like you've had, uh, you know, what what prompted you? Um, because you joined the military, it would be, you know, in, in the height of the Vietnam War, right? So uh, what prompted yeah. you to, to get into the military? Well, I was a shitty kid. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I just, I, I, you know, I went in the military. To, to be honest with you, I spent uh, about 10 months in reform school. I, uh, I was probably going in the wrong direction. Uh, came back, finished up school, graduated, and, and really had no direction in life. And I remember I was... Uh, I'm sitting on the, I don't know if you've been up to Washington State, but I was sitting on the, on the, uh, on the Columbia River drinking a beer, tell you, uh, drinking a beer. And a guy said, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, I don't know. He said, you want to go to college? And I said, guys like me don't go to college. And, uh, so the next guy said, you want to join the army? And I said, sure. Okay. All right. That's it. So that's my entire thought process. I, I had no freaking idea they was really fighting a war. I mean, I, I see the papers and listen to news a little bit, but I, you know, I, I didn't think I'd uh, I'd end up in war, so that was just a uh, no thought process. Just sort of did it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I you know, and that and that goes for you know a lot of, and a lot of people that have some of the most distinguished careers in the military. That's kind of how it started for them. I mean, they just they didn't they didn't know they didn't have a lot of structure and and uh, you know it was just it was just something cool to do. So you know that's, well, that's you awesome. Know, yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, I the way I sort of believe in life is, uh, you know, put your head down, work hard, do the best you can, and, uh, you know, be supportive of the people to your left or right. And, uh, you know, in the Army, there's no second best. I used to tell people, you know, if you lose in the Army, you pay with with your life. Uh, you know, so there's no second best. And, and you know, it's about protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. And I certainly love the Army. The Army was good for me. But, uh, you know, I, I again, I, I had no earthly idea I was going to stay that long. You know, 36 years is a it's a long career, but uh, I just just things changed, and uh, I, I I tell you the truth, I, when I went to war, I think I went to war at 18, but I came back at 55. You know, you grow up that much <laughs> yeah. in war, and the kind of stuff that you see just uh, 
you know, is, is mind-boggling. So it stays with you forever. Yeah. And so how long after you you initially went, so, you you know, you went through the pipeline, basic training, AIT, and then how long before you deployed to Vietnam the first time? Uh, one, I went one time, I went uh, basic AIT. Here's a good story for you. I, I went in the Army on the uh, buddy plan. So there's okay. a guy named Prentice Boykin that went with me on the on the uh, buddy plan. So with basic AIT jump school. So when I went to jump school, I, I want to say the number was like 400 and plus people that uh, that uh, went to jump school. And, and uh, at the end of jump school, we'd gotten our wings and everything. They'd lined us up. And they started reading names of people that was going to Vietnam. Of course, uh, Boykin is before Tilly, and so they they called his name Prentice Boykin. And I sort of whispered to him, I said, Prentice, this is where this buddy plan shit stops. And uh, and about uh, you know thirty seconds later, they said Tilly, and I stepped forward. And so that's you know I went basic IT jump school and then straight to Vietnam, and I was assigned to the uh, 173rd Airborne initially. And they had a big battle in the in the first division, killed a lot of people, and so they took uh, every other person and uh, sent them to the first uh, first division. I was a cab guy, so they took the uh, A troop quarter cab uh, first infantry division. So that's that's how I got to Vietnam. So it was real quick, uh, basic AT jump school, and I was over there. So that's interesting to me, like the uh, you know. So you you've been a part of a lot of different conflicts and a lot of different uh you know theaters of operation and so specifically talking about Vietnam and your experience there with your deployment you know can you just kind of explain that because that's going to kind of lead into you know further on when we get into the Gulf War and all that kind of stuff so uh, as far as the change and the change in mentality and 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 how we operate so you know what was your experience in that how long were you in Vietnam before you know when you deployed well yeah, just one year. It was a year of five, really about 11 months, 11, uh, 11 months, uh, maybe about uh, a week or so. Because the guy I was telling you a minute ago, Barney, uh, just about at the end of our tour, uh, he get, he got hit with a recoilless and blew his stomach out and he bled to death. And so uh, I was his uh, body escort taking him home. So, uh, you know, almost a year. In fact, I, I thought really, quite frankly, I was going to have to go back and spend another couple of weeks or something. But uh, lucky I didn't have to do that. And and when you look at, I learned a great deal from Vietnam. You know, at the uh, well, some of the problems about Vietnam is, uh, you know, at that time it was, you know, all draftees were going. You had a lot of people that were there that didn't want to be there, but they did a great job. Uh, but it wasn't an all volunteer military, and uh, you just use replacements and. You know, to, to fill that. We dealt with a, a lot of the same things that, that Iraq and Afghanistan are, you know, over there they call them IEDs. In Vietnam, we call them mines on the side of the freaking road. Uh, they'd mine the <laughs> shit out of us. They'd, they'd booby trap stuff. Uh, they'd booby track, uh, they had what they call a, uh, uh, Chicom Claymore that, you know, is a big center thing. They'd put C4 in the back and glass and nails and shit and they'd hang them in trees and blow them when you went through. So, a lot of the same stuff that you had to deal with just in a, in a different, uh, theater, but, uh, and, and a lot of guys, I think I was, I was looking at you, I'm gonna go speak at the, uh, at the Vietnam, uh, museum up here in, uh, I think it's in Cleveland, Ohio here, uh, in the end of the month. And, uh, and, and, and I was starting working out some comments, but that was 55 years ago for me, a little bit over 55 years ago, fighting in Vietnam. And, and we lost so many people, I mean, if you look at Afghanistan, Iraq, Iraq, uh, the, the, uh, 
you know, you get somebody out of the battlefield real quick and get them back in Iraq, and we're in Vietnam, they'd, they'd die on the battlefield because you couldn't, you didn't have their adequate helicopter support or whatever to get them back in the medical aid. So it's, it's just a lot to different medical aid. And the kind of equipment and technology that you that you have currently is a whole hell of a lot different. But the, the soldier's attitude, I think, uh, were probably about the same. I mean, they had to do their job, and they wanted to do it the best they could, if, uh, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely it does. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's it's kind of funny you mentioned the draft because I know with uh, with everything that's going on in the world right now and in in Europe with you know, Ukraine and and you know Russia's you know beating their drums you know the draft is starting to come up again. People are worried about that because if we get into a uh, you know another big conflict like that, you know I I just heard scuttlebutt about it. People talking about the draft and um, I don't think personally that it would ever happen. Uh, I still think we have enough patriots in this country that would stand up and, and, uh, you wouldn't have to, have to implement that, but maybe. Um, so do you, do you, did you served with a lot of people that got drafted and, and you, and you said their attitudes oh, oh. were, were pretty good? Oh, absolutely. I mean, but they was in there for two years and most of them was good. Some of them were real shitty, but most of them was pretty good. I mean, but, but when you go to war and it's about either do the job or get your ass shot, I mean, they, you know, they probably get motivated. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that, that changes a lot of shit, uh, real quick. Now, now, going back to your comment about a draft for, the, for, uh, for our country, I think personally, I think it'd help a lot of young adults nowadays to grow up to go in the military, uh, to let them do that, uh, you know, to go serve, you know, two or three years or three or four years in the military. I think they'd come back, probably, not probably, but a better citizen for our country. Uh, I think no, that would be I, a great thing to do. Yeah. But, I, but, but I completely yeah, agree with ahead. that. Yeah. Oh, no, no, well, I, I completely agree with that. Well, the one thing you have, though, is is, uh, is we don't have a whole lot of war, uh, war fighters. We have some now that are in Congress and in the Senate uh, that have a full uh, understanding about, you know, what war is like. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you, if you go and just evaluate the Army, the Army is too small. You know, we got ten divisions. You got eight in the National Guard, so that's eighteen divisions, I guess. But but it's too small to do those kind of things. And really, what you got to worry about, you not only got to worry about Ukraine, you got to worry about China, you got to worry about Korea. What if all these these guys or all these bad guys start racing their ugly head? Then you got to worry about the southern border. We allow people to come into our country. We don't even know who in the hell is in our country anymore. So it's, there's a lot of stuff that uh, strategically. Uh, that we ought to start taking a hard look at. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've worked with Russians before, and uh, I'm not afraid of a Russian. Russians can't fight any goddamn better than anybody else. And, and we'd kick their ass just as quick as anybody else. But uh, oh, you know, we control the night. We have better technology, better equipment. We, You know, we're, we're ready, but, but you just don't want to get in a fight like that unless you have to. Right. No, absolutely. And, you know, and, and inevitably, you know, bad guys are always going to corral together. And and I don't honestly I don't think any nation is dumb enough to take us on one on one because we we absolutely do have the best military in in the history of the, the world and mm-hmm. it's uh it's an awesome thing to be a, be a, have been a part of but that being said you know the one thing you know on uh, strategically I mean they could string us out and that's and that's that's what you're talking about is we're just not big enough anymore and no, no, uh, you know a, yeah. And, and getting yeah, them, the law, the, getting the lawmakers to understand how to, 
you know, fight these conflicts or how to hit these conflicts on head on. It's, it, it seems to be very difficult because we elect these people to go up there with our best interests, but it doesn't seem like that's what they do. They, they go up there and they sit there for 30 years and, and become a sponge and just soak up money. And that's, it's very frustrating, but to see that, but that's just seems to be the way it's going. Well, I, the, the problem you have is they forget what they're doing. I don't work for them. They work for me. Uh, you know, and in fact, I have this theory. Uh, I don't know if I told you last time I talked to you on the phone, but uh, the top 10% and the bottom 10% screw our country up. The top 10% want to steal everything and do all these crazy things, and the bottom 10% want to steal all these things. And do it. So the 80% in the middle just want to get along in this country. You know, so uh, I, I just think we, we need to take a hard look at when we're electing officials, what their background is, what they want to do, and they, be, they need to be held accountable for, for their actions. You know, if they if they have bad policy or they do bad, you know, just incorrect things, it's not, you know, just like, and I'll give you a great example. I, again, I don't want to do deep in politics here, but but if you look at the oil prices, you know, why would the hell would we buy oil from Russia? And then if that don't work, we want to buy oil from Iran or, or Venezuela or something like that. Why don't we just get our own oil? You know, it's, I just, it just, it, it doesn't make sense to me that to do that. And then the other thing is, is, uh, Hopefully I'm not talking too much here, but, but the other thing is, is, uh, is that, you know, if you look at these people that are making decisions, not in all cases, but in some cases, they live in a different world than me and you live in. You know, they, they, you know, somebody's stepping and fetching for them, they're getting in the car, they're taking them to work. Nobody does that for me. You know, I gotta do all my own stuff. You know, so it's, yeah. it's, uh, you know, come back, come back to reality and understand that if you're gonna charge five bucks for gas, you know, I'll get through it, and most people will, but what about the people that, that really struggle, you know, month to month? So that's, that's the, and again, you gotta think about what's good for our country, not what's good for you personally. Right. No, I completely agree. And, you know, and this whole deal with getting, still getting gas from Russia and then having Russia, you know, basically talk, you know, they're, they're facilitating the deal with Iran or whatever that whole stuff is going on. It's absurd to me. I don't understand. And we have the means in this country, and we do it cleaner than any other country to get the oil out of yeah. the ground. And and I mean, we could be the largest world's exporter of oil if, if we would just um, if we could cut through all the red tape and all the bureaucratic bullshit. Honestly, um, yeah. but uh, we're, we're going to take a break with that, and uh, we're going to get a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with more of uh, Sergeant Major Armor Tilly. Thank you. We'll be right back. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Look at family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you're not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. 
Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. Attention, all U.S. veterans. You have served this country with honor and pride. So why is it so difficult to receive the benefits you deserve? Filing a VA claim is complicated, it's cumbersome, and time-consuming. Many veterans have a problem identifying what conditions they should apply for. VDAC, Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is an online application that greatly assists you with filling out your application and identifying the disabilities that you're entitled to. The VDAC process takes about 15 to 30 minutes from start to finish. The entire process is simple and easy to use. The software automatically cross-references the VA database to determine what presumptive conditions you are entitled to as well as any secondary conditions. Once done, a fully completed VA form is generated with supporting material. To find out more, go to nifv.org and click on the VDAC button. Again, the website is nifv.org and click on VDAC. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're here with the Sergeant Major of the Army, Tilly. And uh, we kind of got, got a little forward on the topic there. I kind of want to bring it back a little bit. I know I, I mentioned the draft because we have gotten a lot of emails uh, into the show about the draft. And so can you kind of explain how that worked back in the day? And do you think if they implemented something like that, they would do it again? And would they change it up now to include women? I think they have to include women. I think that we ought to make this a level uh, playing field. And so if a man's going to be drafted, so should a woman. I mean, that's just the way our society now. And what they have is they had a, I don't remember the numbers. They had numbers. They call, you know, uh, I'm not sure how they figured it out, but you would, uh, They'd draw a number, they'd contact you, and you'd just uh, be drafted in the military for two years. Uh, you'd be called up, and it's, uh, yeah, that's, again, I, I don't remember exactly how it worked because I was never drafted, but, uh, yeah, it was just a two-year assignment for you to come in. You come in, just what I said a minute ago, basic, uh, AIT, most of those guys went to, uh, straight to Vietnam, and then come back and have, uh, you know, four to six months left to, to get out of the service. A lot of them were uh, released early, too. Uh, out of the service, uh, but yeah, everybody right. was open. Men, men and women, and they they bring them in. The the problem you had is uh, is that uh, you know again a lot of people didn't want to come in the service. They was either in school or they was in a business or was doing something that <clears throat> just disrupted their life, and so it was, it was really tough on uh, on quite a few people. But uh, and and uh, again, we had a lot of discipline problems. Uh, you know. They had a lot of A walls and stuff, a lot of UCMJ. So it wasn't a, it wasn't it wasn't a really a, a, a great program, but it was an okay program. Now, having said that, I think if we ever went to war, in a major war, if we went to war with Russia or whoever we went to, I think they ought to consider that. But but I'm with you. I don't think they'll they'll ever do that. I don't think our politicians in our country would accept the fact that they draft everybody. So uh, good idea, but I don't think it ever happened again. Yeah, I mean, I really don't either. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, you watch all these conflicts and you watch, uh, it, 
you know, everything that's happened in the United States over the past, what, 30 years. And, and so you come up with September 11th. In my lifetime, that was the most unified this country I'd ever seen this country. And so there were so many people signing up to go. Uh, you know, I think in times of crisis, people, the best come out in people and, and they, they realize what needs to be done. And, you know, just like what's yeah. going on in Ukraine. I mean, God, God bless the Ukrainians. I mean, they're standing up to a, a much larger power and, and they're, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, they're, t- it's, it's ultimately sad because they're fighting, uh, you know, a dictator that, that just doesn't care about in a life or anything else. And so he's taken some extreme measures, but then people are, they're kicking ass. I mean, you mean to, yeah. to make it simple? Well, you know as well as I do. Once you get into a city and start fighting, now you can have all the armor and all the artillery and all that other shit. But that's that's tough fighting. You know, just trying to run. You know, I, I don't remember the the amount of people that was in. Uh, you know, their major communities. Let's say there's a couple million. Uh, try to run two million people out of a town, a city, and let's say it's not two million. It's you know fifty thousand or sixty thousand. In fact, just think about it. If you took uh, five or six people or ten people uh, that are trained army veterans and put them in uh, Chicago and give them all the weapons they want, all the ammunition they want. Do, do, you, do you imagine what kind of hell they could raise? And they probably would <laughs> take them a long time to stop them uh, from doing anything. So, it's you know, the other thing is, again, I go back to say, you know, Russian tactics, I worked with Russians before years ago when I was in Bosnia. Uh, they didn't impress me a bit. Uh, but, the, but the one thing that does bother me, again, Either deal with them now or deal with them later. Uh, you can sit back and say, hey, you know, that's Ukraine's fight. They're not in NATO and all this other crap. But the answer is, uh, eventually, uh, something's going to happen. Something will spill over and we'll have to deal with their butt. And, uh, you know, I just, I just hate seeing all these, these people in Ukraine getting killed. I think we should, you know, I, again, I don't want to, I, I was telling somebody today, when you call a policeman, why do you call a policeman? Because you have a problem. You want somebody to come and help you. Well, that's what the army gets to do. I mean, we're, you know, we're not the world's police, but this is our kind of job, and this is the things that we take care of. And so, uh, you know, let's make this a free country. But you know, Russia's just picking on their ass and trying to make them another USSR and just a little bit bigger, I guess. Well, you know, and that is, and, and you know, you can turn on any news station, and you're going to hear all this stuff. And and I, I'm not all about the rhetoric. I have my own opinion, and I think I think you just like you said. You're going to deal with it now. You're going to deal with it later. And I think what, what's a better time to do it now? And that's just my opinion. Um, but you know who's watching? It's China, and that's the bigger threat. So, um, you know, it, it, these guys, you know, in Washington, I mean, I, I know they have a hard job to do, and they got a lot of decisions to make. But it just doesn't seem like to me that they make decisions anymore on behalf of the people they represent is the biggest problem, a lot of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Yeah, I, I think what the problem they have is, is, is uh, the, the uh, you know, really what they do is they all have staffers, and those are young guys, that, young guys and gals that come out of college, and they're all smart young men and women, uh, but, but they really don't know a whole lot about the military either. You know, and when you talk about tactics and the things you've got to do and what it costs to do those kind of things, uh, I, I, think, I, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of people that want to do the right thing, uh, but in some cases, uh, they wait too long. And the worst thing about it now, uh, you know, I, I had uh, you know, uh, Chief of Staff of the Army, Joe Schoemaker, made one of the yes. a great comment one time. He said, uh, in peacetime, we got all the time and no money, right? But in wartime, right. we got all the money and no time. You know, we got all, they want to throw all this money to get to the technology and equipment, but you don't have the time to train on it. You know, so it's, it's sort of a, 
you know, let's, let's, you know, it's peace through strength. I mean, uh, we're not the biggest army in the world. We're the third largest, I think. I think it's China, India, uh, and then us. I, I think that's right. But, but we're not the biggest. But, but we control the night. Uh, we can kill all sorts of stuff at night with our night vision sights and all that other stuff. So we're pretty capable of uh, dealing with anybody. But uh, let's not get no smaller. Let's make sure we're prepared to do what we have to do if, in fact, we have to do something. Yeah, right. I mean, and that's that's what every, you know, that's that whole every four to eight years, that's the whole thing. You know, we uh, peace through power. And, and it just doesn't seem like some people understand that. I mean, if, you know, if you have the baddest ass dude on the world you're not going to walk up and kick him you know i mean and that's kind of yeah. look at the military but yeah um yeah, yeah so uh, kind of got off track there a little bit but back to your go ahead, back to your well, let me, let no, me back to your career i'll go, go oh ahead. no no uh, shit my career is long and and rugged <laughs> no I, I had that i, I had a I, I had a great career i mean i i worked at uh to be the sergeant major Army, I, I didn't i didn't jump around anything i was a you know uh uh, I guess a, a, a driver on a tank, then a then a loader, and then I was a tank commander, and then I was a, a platoon sergeant, and then a first sergeant, and then a sergeant major. I was a sergeant major for 16 years, 16 or 17 years, at the time brigade, division, three star, and two four star positions. So I, you know, I didn't I didn't jump over anybody. I just sort of worked my way up. So yeah. So when you how, how did you get selected to be the sergeant major of the army? How does that process work? Well, Cause well what what happened is that, you know, there's really not a whole lot of guys that are qualified for that. But 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 what they do is anybody, I think, I think I'm right here because uh, it's been a while ago, but anybody that serves at a nominative level that's really one star and above, uh, you can compete for the sergeant major of the Army. And uh, what they do is they send these packets and they'll send a, a nominative, they'll send a uh, – a letter out that says, you know, if you meet these requirements, you can submit your name. Submit your name, and so uh, what you do is you uh, submit your name. I was working at a uh, at a four star level. I got I got to tell you a story real quick. I didn't want to be the sergeant major of the army. Uh, I just wanted to retire and work for work for USAA. But uh, they called me. A guy named Larry Strickland called me. Sergeant Major Strickland called me. He actually got killed in the Pentagon uh, during nine eleven. But uh, he called me. And said, hey, look, are you going to compete for Sergeant Major in the Army? And I said, uh, no, let these younger guys do it. I got over 30 years. I'm getting old. And I'm going to work for USAA or somebody. Uh, let these guys compete. He said, okay, click, hung up. Well, the next day, the current Sergeant Major of the Army called me and said, hey, look, uh, tell them I'm going to, you know, why don't you compete? And I said, well, I got to get an extension to compete and let these young guys do it. He said, well, you know, he says, uh, I'd like for you to compete. And, and, you know, the Army was good to me. I mean, you can say anything you want about the military. The Army treated me, treats a lot of people very good. And any successes I've had in life, of course, was with God, my wife, and the United States Army. And so I said, well, Sergeant Major, if you want me to compete, I'll, I'll do that. And he said, okay, well, don't worry. I said, what do you mean, don't worry? He said, don't worry, they'll never hire your ass anyway. So we said that's the end of the conversation that we hung up. So what happens anyway, so they – uh you, you send your packet in, then you go up, and this is a long, just a long explanation. I'm trying to make it fast as I can. But you go up and uh, you go to a hotel. Uh, they contact you and tell you what time you have an interview. And there's a three star, a couple of two stars in there, and a sergeant major of the army. You can't talk to anybody. They don't tell you what you're going to talk about in the uh, in the in the uh, interview. 
uh, you can't talk to anybody that's competing. So you go to, the, at the time it was a Hoffman building. So you go in the Hoffman building, sale is at two o'clock. I get there five minutes till. I go in a room. Nobody's in there but me. And then a few minutes later, the guy that just got his interview walks past the, where I'm sitting. You can't say anything to him. And then you go in and report to president of the board and they ask you a series of questions. And then uh, when you're finished, you do the same thing, and you go directly back out, go back to your hotel room, and then when the board is completed, they'll call you and say you was either selected or not selected, uh, or selected for the next phase. Uh, of course, if you wasn't selected for the next phase, you get the tax and go home. And there were six of us that were selected for the next phase. You, you go to the Pentagon, and you actually go uh, interview with the chief of staff of the Army, uh, and then... Uh, about two weeks, uh, about two weeks after that, uh, they'll contact everybody and then tell the person that was selected that you were selected for the job and, and you can't uh, say anything until they make it official. They put it out and then you come up and, and you're sworn in just like any other position. You're sworn in as the, uh, as the sergeant major of the army. So that's, that's sort of a rough way of, a rough ex- explanation of what they do. Yeah. So that's, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's just a military process. I mean, they're like, uh, a lot of the boards are, you know, extreme boards. But so on, uh, I mean, that's, that's super impressive. I mean, you were the 12th Sergeant Major of the Army, correct? Yes. Yeah, they've only had, right now, they're, they're on 16. they got Sergeant Major of the Army Grinson on there now. But they've only had 16 in the history of the Army uh, that served in that position. Yeah. So, I mean, what, that, what does it feel like to make the pinnacle of the enlisted rank? I mean, that's the high. I mean, you can't, absolutely can't go any higher. You know, I mean, well, that's got to be a... Well, it's sure, sure it's a great feeling, but you know my goal in the army was to be a spec four. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, want, I didn't want to be anything other than than what I, I you know, I, you know, it's, it's nice to serve in those positions, uh, but you know, it's just like I said before, I, I serve for the army. I don't serve for myself. I serve to try to make the army better. Right, right. All right. With that being said, we're going to take another commercial break. We'll be right back with more from the Sergeant Major of the Army, Tilly. <laughs> You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Attention, looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio broadcast for over 15 years. High quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. 
Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. VDAC, an online application that helps veterans research and file for their VA disabilities. Empowering the veteran to take full control of your claim. Find out more by going to our website, nifb.org, and clicking on the VDAC button. Once again, our website is nifb.org, and click on VDAC. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. Welcome back, uh, Sergeant Major Tilly. Before we broke there, we were talking. You were talking about the board. What, so I'm assuming the Sergeant Major in the Army. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty uh, political uh, position at that point. So, what, what, in your board, what kind of questions did they ask you? Um, uh, you you your know, board? yeah. So, so many years ago, they, uh, they asked me. It was all most of us situational questions. You know, if this, you know, if this happened, uh, what would you, what would be your recommendation? Uh, I don't remember the specific questions because it was so long ago, but most of them was, uh, situational things. They asked me about, uh, you know, the Army's transition. Uh, what, what recommendation would you give to, 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 uh, educate the Army about transformation? Uh, they asked me about, uh, about Congress. What do you think is the most important things? You know, what's the most important things that you'd want to bring to the table as a current Sergeant Major of the Army? And I said, uh, the number one for me was pay. Of course, quality of life and medical care uh, was the three things, and of course, for families too. Uh, so, so it's just a, they just want to get into your head a little bit about the, you know what you're thinking about the, you know to, to make the army better. And quite frankly, as a sergeant major the army, I, I, uh, we got about a 24% pay raise. Uh, not just because the army, you have to work with all the other services too. Uh, and then we did right. a lot as far as medical care and, and the housing. We did a pretty good job, even though I think they're having problems with it now. But uh, we did, you know, if you look at the Army, the Army, uh, if you look at the Army and put all the other services together, the Army's still bigger. You know, you look at the Navy right. and the Air Force, they're 350-plus thousand, each one of them. The Marine Corps is about 180 to 200,000. The Coast Guard's about 40,000. I don't know what the Space Force is. It can't be but about a couple thousand or something like that. But all of those combined are not big as, as the United States Army. So it's a, it's a pretty demanding job. And the worst thing, not the, but one of the, uh, worst things about being in the Sergeant Major of the Army, you see all the, all the bad stuff. Every day I look at a blotter report and see all the soldiers that maybe either committed suicide or had a wreck or whatever. So that, that was a little tough. I, that was, that was sort of bothersome. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's always that's tough, and it's uh, it's only getting worse now. It seems like, and you know, that's just that's something we we really need somebody up top to to take a hold of and start start combating it the best they can. Um, you mentioned the space force. What do you what what's your thoughts on the space force? Well, I think it's a good idea to have a space force. I mean, uh, you know, I worked in space and missile defense, and you know, they sort of divvied that space force stuff out between the army and all the other services. So I think. Having one central location that can work on space, you know, you, you could, you look at satellites. I don't know if you've ever been up to, uh, Colorado out to NORAD out there, but I have. Look, there's space junk they got up there. Uh, you need something like that. So I think it's a good idea. I think Trump did the right idea. I think that's, uh, that's good stuff. Uh, you know, uh, you gotta wait and see exactly what they bring to the table. Uh, but that's the future for us. I mean, that's the direction that we're going. So I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you saw a vast 
you know, I mean, 36 years is a long time to do anything. And so, you know, the, the what are the like the three biggest changes that you saw over your career and in, in the way the Army was going, whether it be training or tactics or, I mean, tactics are always going to evolve and we're always going to get better. You know, we learn from our mistakes. Um, you know, uh, nobody does that better than the military because you do so much briefings and debriefings and rehearsals and then, you you know, you, you, you fix all your mistakes. But, but you know, specifically training. So, you know, in in my mind, I mean, even since I went through basic training, I mean, now it's almost like a vacation for these guys, and I and I, I don't agree with that. I think I think basic training should you should never forget it. It should be difficult. It should be stressful. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of get your thoughts on that. Um, you know. Well, well, for, uh, the big uh, the biggest change for me is technology. I, I mean, I came in the army. I was shooting an M14. When I left, I was shooting an AR. So that's the biggest change. You know, the weapon system is tech- but you have to change the army. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think is a large change is the educational process and our non-commissioned officers education program. You know, uh, when I came in, in fact, uh, when I came into service, I don't know if you remember that, you probably don't remember, they had what they call the McNamara's 100,000 uh, that came in during Vietnam. Most of them had like a, a, a third or fourth grade education. A lot of them stayed in the service and got their education stayed a little bit longer. But we, we brought in a lot of people that didn't have uh, – much of it education, but we helped those guys and gals, and, and really there's more guys back in that day. So I think the education, the focus on education, I think the uh, that's the uh, that's the that's one of the biggest thing. I think education. I, I think most, if you look at the enlisted side, you know, 86% of the force is enlisted. You know, so if you look right. at the enlisted side, the educational level that you're at right now, in a lot of cases, you have, uh, you know, non-commissioned officers have a couple of master's degrees or doctor's degrees or, or whatever. So I think uh, that's another large change. And I think the other change, and I'm not sure it's for the good, is uh, is a cell phone. I think that's a great change. However, the only disadvantage of that is uh, we don't communicate the way we used to communicate. You know, we used to communicate face-to-face and, and talk a lot to the soldiers. I think one of the disadvantages uh, we don't communicate enough with the with our younger service members, and I, I really, quite frankly, I think that that's some of the problems when you when you talk about. Uh, I'm sure it's not you know suicide prevention, all that other stuff. I think one of the keys is you got to communicate with the soldiers that you're around. They got to they they got to understand that uh, you love and want to take care of them. Uh, and if you don't talk to them, they don't know, and they're out there by themselves. So hopefully, that makes sense to you. Those are really the three things I think are big. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I mean, with the cell phones, I mean, everybody's so connected now, and there's no more, you know, it's almost a sense of, uh, you know, overwhelming desire to stay connected to everybody, you know, whether it be through social media or this and that. So I, I think social media is one of the worst things that's happened to our younger kids, but, um, yeah, yeah. you know, for many reasons. But uh, so when on September 11th, where where were you at? Uh, I was working in the Pentagon. I was in the Pentagon at that time. The, uh, in fact, uh, I was in the Pentagon. Uh, a, a sort of, uh, a, a, uh, Master Sergeant Shad, I was going to say Sergeant Major Shad, but Master Sergeant Shad uh, called me and said, do you see the, do you need to turn on your TV? And I was getting ready to go somewhere. And so I watched the, the first plane, the second plane hit up in New York. And, uh, and I thought, oh my goodness. And I, I looked at the guys in the office. And said, "Hey, look, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but this is not an accident. Something's going on. So, stay close to the phones. Uh, anything happens in the army, make sure you call me real quick. You got my, you know, they got all the contact stuff. And 
And I went over to Fort Myer. And when I was coming down, I went over to talk to some lawyers. When I was coming down the uh, hill by the cemetery, uh, the plane hit uh, at the Pentagon. And so uh, just like any other soldier, you know, I went right to where it happened. I got out my vehicle. I ran up to the uh, the, the entranceway. And a guard went and said, you can't come in. And I said, oh, you're right. And I just ran around and ran up to my office and uh, tried to make sure everybody was out of the office. And then I came back out, went around with the uh, – the plane actually hit, and they said there was another plane coming, and so people started running everywhere. And uh, and so I just sort of hunkered down behind some. I said, shit, I'm one person. They're not going to try to kill me with the plane I opened anyway. And so then things got calmed down, and then uh, and then I went with the General Van Alstine. There was a little uh, spot on the left-hand side of the Pentagon where you could work your way through and see if we could get anybody. And, and I went uh, – I went in there, we went back, I don't know, 30 or 40 feet. It was so smoky, you couldn't see anything. And I told him, I said, look, you know, we're going to just, you know, we're going to screw ourselves up. we got to get out of here. So we just sort of backed out. And then, uh, so I stayed right there. And then they brought the old guard down there, and they wanted the uh, the old guard to, uh, you know, put remains, after they put the fire out, put remains in, the, in body bags. And, and I told them they wasn't going to do that. And I told them that uh, that's what Mortuary Affairs gets paid to do. They can put them in the body bags, and the old guard can go and remove the uh, the remains and stuff. But most of the people inside the Pentagon were really nothing but pieces uh people because, uh, you know, when that plane hit it, I can't remember how many levels it went through, but, uh, you know, that jet fuel went out there and it just – in fact, when they did put out the uh, the uh, fire and stuff and I went in the building, I seen, uh, I seen one body and it was burnt so bad laying face down on the desk. I couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just, you know, it was just nothing but pieces of people, you know, in that building. It right. was, uh, it just pissed everybody off. I was so angry about that. So anyway, yeah, that was, that was a terrible day. A terrible day. No, for sure it was. I'll never forget it. It changed my life forever. Cause I, I quit my job that day and, and, uh, joined the military. Um, well, I, I think, was pissed. I think, yeah, I, I think most people in the army, uh, were just angry. And they wanted to find out who did, or not just the angry, or not just in the army, but our country. And, and you said something when we first started, you know, at 9-11, for that, for that, a week, you know, the, our entire country pulled together and wanted to, you know, to actually walk by somebody and said, good morning, good afternoon, how are you doing, can I help you? And, uh, but after about a week, they went back to, you know, the standard shit, look down at the ground, don't look at you, uh, you know, just yeah. sort of enjoy, enjoy your life and I don't care about yours. Yeah, you know, so it's, it's, it's sort of it's sort of screwy. So it's it's amazing to me how quick this country forgets. Because if this country would unite and stay united and band together, there's absolutely nothing we couldn't accomplish. It's insane. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, but, um, I'm going to so, Yeah, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no I'm going to tell you. Sto- I'm going to tell you a story. You know, the uh, uh, first of all, what you do is unbelievable. I want to thank you for what you're doing because you continue to help veterans, but. But, uh, you know, I suffer from post-traumatic stress, but, but, uh, that was out of Vietnam. That's 50, over 50 years ago. But one of the worst things that ever happened to me in my life was, uh, I was in a firefight and this was in Vietnam. They, uh, they threw sats of charges in vehicles and hit our vehicles with RPGs and they hit us from the back going out through the perimeter. And, uh, I was on an old 48 and, uh, come down there firing. We fired about 25 rounds. If you've been on the tank, that's a lot. I can't, I can't remember. There's like 40 some or 50 rounds in a in a tank and we fired about half of them 
And uh, when the dust all settled, the uh, the TC I had, there was a, a tank to the right burning and a couple of PCs and then another APC to the left that was burning. And he told me to get off the tank and uh, go over there and get that tank firing. And I said, I'm not going to do it. I was 18 years old. I don't even know why I said no. And he, and he went off. He went over. He said, get on the 50 and shoot. Great, great NCO. Get on the 50 and shoot. And, and he did it. That's what the NCOs do. They lead the way. And he jumped off. He did it. It was gone about, two, you know, a couple of minutes. It seemed like a couple of minutes. Come back. Never said anything about it. But inside of this tank that he wanted me to go look at was a, a soldier. I won't tell his name because maybe somebody may know him. But uh, he got hit with an RPG, blew his chest off, blew half his fingers off. A TC was dead, laying uh, on the floor, and the, uh, the same RPG took the leg off of the uh, of the gunner. And, and uh, the next day, of course, Mortuary Affairs comes in and removes the remains. And then uh, it, it, you smell death before. Most soldiers or, or uh, guys in the service have smelled death. So if you smell death, you'll never forget that smell. And I got on this tank, and I could smell death. And so I started spraying stuff on the tank, and... Uh, Eventually, I had to reach down and take ammunition boxes up and pull up fingers uh, that were inside, or in between the boxes, and put them in a t-shirt and bury them. So, and it's you know, I, I worry sometimes about uh, you know about the kind of uh, the kind of scars that uh, you know all soldiers have that they'll never forget. So, anyway, I'm sure you have a lot of scars too, just like that. Oh, absolutely, that's very interesting, and uh, we're, we're going to break one more time here. A word from our sponsors when we come back. We'll pick right up there. That's a, that's a great way to uh, pick up. We'll be right back. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Look at family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985. Serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. Attention all U.S. veterans. You have served this country with honor and pride. So why is it so difficult to receive the benefits you deserve? Filing a VA claim is complicated, it's cumbersome, and time-consuming. Many veterans have a problem identifying what conditions they should apply for. VDAC, Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is an online application that greatly assists you with filling out your application and identifying the disabilities that you're entitled to. The VDAC process takes about 15 to 30 minutes. 
from start to finish. The entire process is simple and easy to use. The software automatically cross-references the VA database to determine what presumptive conditions you are entitled to, as well as any secondary conditions. Once done, a fully completed VA form is generated with supporting material. To find out more, go to nifv.org and click on the VDAC button. Again, the website is nifv.org and click on VDAC. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Yeah, right before we went on break, we were talking about uh, PTSD and post-traumatic stress syndrome. And, and, you know, my take on that, Sergeant Major, is I think that uh, every combat soldier that's been in combat that has seen the things that we've seen suffer from PTSD. I think some handle it better than others for, for whatever reason that is. I, and I have my own theory on that. I think for me, I handle it uh, better because maybe I chose to join the military and I chose to go to war. I, that's why I signed up. I, I did it to for this country, and, uh, you know, I wanted to make that decision myself so my kids wouldn't have to. And, and I, I kind of attribute m- me being able to handle the things that I've done and seen uh, a little bit better than that. And some people didn't have a choice, whether it was they were trying to get their education or they were trying to, you know, they didn't know what they were, wanted to do or Whatever it may be, I think, you know, I, I don't know how you'd ever lock that down, but, uh, you know, it was just interesting you brought that up. But, um, PTSD is a, is a, is a huge thing. And I know when I speak a lot, I, that's what I talk about. It's, it's the wounds you can't see that affect people the most. Yeah. Yeah. The, the worst thing about it is a, a, a lot of people, you're pretty open. I'm pretty open. I think the key to success is be open about what, you know, uh, to people, tell people your story, tell people what's going on. I have a, I did this on social media about a month ago. I had a, a seven-day veterans check. You know, you had to call somebody you hadn't talked to in 20 years or 10 years or five years and check on your buddy. I, I think what veterans have to do is check on each other because, you know, you speak the same language as somebody that's been to war and, and seen those kind of stuff. So check on your friends. See how they're doing. I, I, had a, uh, I had a good friend of mine here about six months ago that committed suicide, and he was a senior guy in the Army. And, uh, and I tell people all the time, you know, I, you know, maybe I missed something there. I thought he was okay. I, I'd seen him, I talked to him, you know, every couple of years or so or a year. Uh, and he just decided to take his life. And so we got, we got to help each other out. You know, we got to check on it. It doesn't matter if you're a general or a four star or a private. If you serve in the military, check on your buddy. Make a buddy check once a week. Call somebody. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, because, you know, you and I offline, we could talk a totally different way than we would, than somebody else would, we would talk to somebody else. I mean, because, you know, we just, we've, we've stepped on some of the same ground, done some of the same things. And so we can relate, you know, in that brotherhood way that the most people can't. And that, and that, again, that's the hardest thing coming out of the military and transition into civilian life is it's just not the same. And uh, it's, oh, it's no. difficult for some people. Well, the, the the thing about it, now, again, not bad mouthing anybody, but but some people feel real uncomfortable talking about war. You know, some people feel real uncomfortable about saying, "Yeah, I pulled fingers out of a under between a sponsor box or whatever." Uh, but but for me, that's therapy. You know, talking about stuff that bothered me that uh, I want to get off my chest, and and somebody responds and comes back. Hey, but other people, you know, they just oh yeah, that's good. Let's let's talk about that fence over there. How's that look? You know. Bullshit. Tell me, 
You know, and, and the other thing is, uh, soldiers are not just soldiers, all soldiers. They're, they're straightforward and honest. They're going to tell you exactly how they feel. And I don't want anybody to caveat anything with me. I want you to, you know, tell the truth. That's what I've been doing all my life. You know, any, any commander I ever worked with, I used to tell them, I said, shit, don't ask me a question because I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you what I think. I'm not going to caveat shit. I don't give a shit if you're the President of the United States, Chief of Staff of the Army, Secretary of Defense, whoever. Uh, I'm going to give you a straight answer what I think is right. <laughs> I think you and I may be cut from the same cloth because I'm exactly the same way. Life's too short yeah, to bullshit. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, just get to the yeah. point and yeah. say what you need to say and, and get, get on with it. <laughs> Well, but, uh, I, got so, I got in trouble a couple of times in the army for doing that. Somebody said, I can't believe you said that. I said, oh, shit, it's the truth. You know, what the hell's the problem here? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, given given our current state and everything's going on in the world, we're, you know, what would be your advice? What do you think, what do you think how we need to go as an army and how we need to go as a country? How, I mean, with everything that's going on, all the, all the pokers in the fire, I mean, where, where, where do you well, see us going? I, you know, that's a long, well, the Army side of the house, I think, uh, Army needs to focus on Army. You know, don't worry about all this bullshit off to the side. I mean, but you got a chief of staff, the Army, you know, they know how to do their job. Uh, they get paid, and I love the Army, but they get, they have a specific mission to fight and win our nation's wars. That's their job. So I, I wish there's too much, it seems like sometimes a little bit too much, uh, talking about other things versus talking about war fighting skills. Uh, I think the other thing is, is uh, is is our political leadership? I think is disconnect with uh, disconnected from reality. You know, like uh, you know, a dollar twenty of uh, you know five bucks a gallon of gas isn't going to hurt anybody for a short period of time. Well, let me tell you something. If you're making you know a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, four hundred thousand dollars a year, somebody drives you to work and lets you off every damn day, and and all expenses are paid for by me and you. Uh, I guess I wouldn't have a problem, but but everything I get in life, I have to pay for. You know, so right. stop that shit. If you think gas is not expensive, quit. This is who's the president. Drive your own ass to work. You know, and get right. your own fill your own car up. Then you should be bitching just like everybody else is. But you know, right. live in get my off, world get for off. a little while, still. Yeah, go ahead. Get off, get a, get off the private jets that are, you know, burning extraordinary oh. amounts. Stop, stop, stop bitching about the environment when you're on a Falcon 900, you know, burning, oh. you know, thirty thousand gallon an hour. Oh yeah, it's it's the, the problem you have is like, uh, you look at some of these guys. Say, you know, it's 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 okay for me. And the people say, well, who in the hell? What people are you talking to? You know, you're talking to the wrong people. All the people I hear talking to say, gee, I mean, you go buy food, it costs more money. You go to a restaurant, it's twice as expensive. You get gas, it's doubled, almost tripled in price in some locations. So let me, and, and oh, by the way, my pay raise had not went up. Now, i got to admit one thing here. I own my own company. I give myself a raise if I want to give myself a raise. But I'm not worried about me. I work by the guys that work with me. You know, so uh, right. I'm a little bit older, and I've sort of set myself up pretty good, but, you know, I got to take care of all my grandkids, all my sons, and all these other guys. They're struggling too. So that's bullshit. Get off your high yeah. Come down to where I live and and start. You know, quite frankly, if I had the president of the United States, I'd start drilling oil today. You know, I found so all resources. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean that affects everything. You know, stop this. I was bullshit. giving sentence you know? for it. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I mean, no joke. You know, yeah, yeah. You can put regulations. You know, I. See, I think the way they did it is sort of crazy. Uh, we're going to go electric. 
like tomorrow everything's electric. Wait a minute. Why can't we just phase that in over the next five to ten years instead of doing it right. in about six weeks? You know, that makes sense well, to me. Nobody else does that. You know, so. No. And first of all, if, if you know, 50, 60 percent of the United States goes electric tomorrow, we'll shut down the grid. We, I mean, we just we don't have the capability to do that. And nobody understands yeah. that. <laughs> it's crazy yeah. to me. No, no. So go ahead. No, I was, was going to say it's really funny. Even even now, if you look at the, you know, the Capitol, they put a fence around the Capitol when the president's going to speech. Well, what's wrong with that? You mean there's a lot of pissed off people about what you're doing? That should be a pretty good indication that you're doing the wrong thing. You know, go back and take a hard look at yourself. So, man, I I, I agree completely. So specifically with this uh, with this Russian uh, Ukrainian European deal, what 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 would be your thoughts? And just I just want your opinion. Um, yeah, you know, well, and, my, my thing, I'd give them all the weapons you could give them. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, if they want uh, missiles or whatever the hell they want, I'd give it to them. I'd give it, I'd stock them up as much as I could. I, I'd really take a hard look at, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I, I could get this wrong. I think Poland was going to give them some airplanes. We was going to backfill Poland. I would give them the airplanes so they can control the sky, uh, control their own sky, because you know that's where they're beating the hell out of them a little bit. I support them as much as I can because I, you know, we, we gotta worry about this. You know, this, uh, this could be World War III, whether or not we want to look at it that way or not. I mean, we don't know how that's gonna go. All they've gotta do is shoot a, you know, a couple rounds into Poland or into the Balkans or whatever. You may have a fire in your hand. And they absolutely yeah. hate each other. You know, they hate oh, know. everybody over there. They hate their neighbors, you know, so, you know, I, but, but now on the other side of that is I think support them as much as you can. But if that old boy uh, gets into Poland or gets into the Balkans, I think uh, put the wrath of God on his ass and stop this shit just as quick as you can. Oh, yeah. I I, I completely agree. I, you know, I, I know it's so hard for people and, and talking to people. They watch it on the news. And first of all, our news is uh, that's a whole other uh, episode we could probably talk about, probably two or three. But Real quick, let me say, because you brought it up about news. It depends on what channel you listen to. Uh, most of them, some of them are full of shit a little bit. The others are full of shit a whole bunch. So you don't know who to listen to, <laughs> and they keep contradicting each other. So who are you going to – I mean, where do you get the truth from? All I want is one news media channel that just says, hey, look, this is good, this is bad. You know, make your own opinion. Or this is what we have. But you just don't know who to listen to. I mean, you know, this guy, I mean, I mean, just keep lying. I, you know, I'm just confused with the news. The best thing with the news is turn the damn shit off. Don't listen to yourself. So. Well, it's, it's not news anymore. It's propaganda. It really is. It's oh, propaganda yeah. Yeah. and it's, it's insane to me. And I, that, I've never heard anybody say it like that, but that's, that's absolutely the truth. Uh, yeah, um, and, but you know, but the, the, the even more the sad part about that is, is you know, every news channel has their their people that that only going to watch that station, and they don't try to diversify anything. They don't do any research on their own. So whatever that news channel mm-hmm. says, that's their that's the word, and that's what they go by. And and you know, ninety nine percent of it's bullshit, and you know, nobody wants to educate themselves anymore. And with the technology that we have, but although that's being controlled as well what you can find on the internet now, you know, it's, it's, it's just becoming crazy to me. Well, you, you know what the circle of life is, right? You know, some people just stand in the circle, never move their entire life. They just throw there, everything's okay, I'm going to do okay, and all that other shit. And, and stuff just rotates around a little bit, you know. 
People that are successful keep stepping out of circles, go to another circle, go to another circle. And, and, and again, the problem is, it's the same with, with uh, political leaders, too. I mean, all I want is you to tell me the absolute truth. Uh, you know, I'm smart enough to figure out what, what I think is right, you know, and, and you're not fooling anybody when you tell me a lie. So, I mean, you know, it's, 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 I, I agree with you. It's just a, it's a crock of shit, and I wish they'd stop it. I, in fact, to tell you, here's a funny story. I actually went online the other day to, to figure out what, what qualifications I have to have uh, to run for Congress or the Senate, right? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. not too much. Be a U.S. citizen. What was it? Be over the age of 25 and live in that state. I think that's the three qualifications to do that. And so we probably ought to take a hard look at what the qualifications are because we're getting some crazy-ass <laughs> people in there that just don't, just don't give a shit about anything. <laughs> And, and, and so we're, you know, I, I'm not even sure where to get some of these people. Some of them, I know there's a lot of good ones, I understand that. But some of the ones that, uh, you know, like, turn off the lights, you can save electricity. Don't worry, but don't touch my house. You know, leave me alone. So it's, it's crazy as hell. But we're yeah, getting way okay, off shit now, but it's a lot of fun talking anyway. <laughs> yeah, we are. Well, yeah, you know, we're kind of running out of time for tonight, but maybe we can maybe we can get together again on another podcast in the future. It's been great talking to you, and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this. And we got to stay in touch. And when I ever get to Florida, have you ever had your ass kicked in golf by a one-legged guy? Uh, not lately, but I, I accept the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'd love I'd love to play around with you, but uh, hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on tonight, Sergeant Major. It's been great. You've been uh, You've been awesome. Thank you for your service. And, uh, you know, just we'd like to keep everybody in our prayers in, in uh, Europe and Ukraine. And I hope they keep keep fighting the good fight. And, uh, Sergeant Major, you have a you have a great evening. And thanks again. Hey, no, sir. hey, give me a call. when You got my number. Give me a call when we finish, will you? Yes, sir. I'll do it. I'll do it. All right, thank, all right thank everybody. You. That's Say all much. we got for – yes, sir. That's all we got for tonight. We'll talk to you next Monday night. God bless America. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. Attention, looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847 847- Seven five four four six six seven. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio broadcast for over 15 years. High quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985 serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. VDAC, an online application that helps veterans research and file for their VA disabilities. 
empowering the veteran to take full control of your claim. Find out more by going to our website, nifb.org, and clicking on the VDAC button. Once again, our website is nifb.org, and click on VDAC. VBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible.